Clap, clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands podcast, hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? This is the Clap Your Hands podcast, brought to you by Odyssey Sports, brought to you by Sports Radio 94 WIP. And on this beautiful Saturday morning, it is brought to you by Joel Embiid because we were not going to record today. But Joel Embiid last night, March 10th, officially in my book, that was his MVP moment. That was when he took the lead. That was when the shot that killed the Raptor, it's over. We saw it last night. I thought last night the shot was absolutely huge. And we're recording this morning because it was a special moment. And special moments, they deserve special pods, Kyle. What's going on? Uh, That's... You guys can see I'm not exactly bright-eyed and bushy-tailed <laughs> right now, but uh, I'm powering through this morning. Hey, after, yeah, what, you know. The, what, one uh, thing you I've said, learned. Uh, one thing I've learned. You about, need. Go, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 you're good. One thing I've learned about early Kyle is there's a difference between like had a coffee Kyle and just waking up Kyle. So uh, you, uh, you can see that early on in the in the pod this morning. Look nice, but. Uh, the, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work work through some early reps here, and we'll, uh, <laughs> I'll be like the Sixers last night. The first quarter might be a little bit rough, but as we you, uh, you you turn the key in my back, eventually I'm gonna get going. <laughs> well, so you were there last night, so you had a later night than uh, than most people. So so talk to us, man. What was it like last night? Uh, obviously, we'll get into the whole game, but clearly the headline, clearly the point of the pod is what Joel did that final shot. Just what was it like in the building? What was your view of it? Uh, take us through it. I mean, it was one, it was awesome. Um, I continue to be amazed at how quickly both the team and the arena can go from, man, this game looks cooked and uh, we're not having a good time and there's booing and what have you. And then all of a sudden it's just a couple plays are made, a couple shots mm-hmm. are made and they're on a run and oh my God, it's a 10 point game. And now the crowd's into it. And now Maxi makes a big energy play, but it has a put back dunk. And Joel just keeps making shots and making shots and going to the free throw line. And you look up and you don't think the Sixers have played well for most of the game. And it's a five point game with four minutes left. Yeah. And, and to me, again, I like this has really been like a Kyle Newback personal victory tour lately <laughs> with, uh, with the manner in which they've won, man, my dog is, you know, fired up over here. This It's morning. exciting we'll morning. Um, but like, this is sort of what they've been all year, right? I think the start of the game clearly were not, I, I wouldn't even say it wasn't an effort issue. They set up in a way that actually harmed them, right? They tried to double and blitz Dame on ball screens, which I think is a smart approach if you defend it right. Mm-hmm. But by bringing Joel up against, you know, up to the level and to try to force the ball out of Dame's hands, you then put all the defensive burden essentially on the guys on the back end. And guys like Tobias Harris are not making good rotations, are not doing what they need to do. And so Portland's either getting clean-ish shots at the rim or they're getting open threes on the perimeter. And you're like, man, what the hell is going on here? And then at halftime, the adjustment, which I thought was just beautiful as somebody who was a Thibault skeptic his yeah. whole time he was here. The Sixers put Joel Embiid on Matisse Thibault and essentially just dared him to shoot for the first half of the third quarter and used Joel as a roamer. 
they begin to get Portland out of their stuff. And it the game just slowly starts coming unraveled for Portland. And so, one, it's a, a slight Doc Rivers adjustment, which nobody's going to come out of that game being like, hey, right. Doc was Doc was the guy. Pro two, Doc. It, two, and really, this is number one. But Joel was unbelievable the entire night offensively. I mean, he finishes the game 65% from the field. He shot 18 free throws. Didn't even have a good free throw shooting night for him. He had some uncharacteristic uh, misses at the line. And they just, you know, they clawed away, they clawed away, and they showed a level of resilience once again that this team has not shown before. I mean, I just tweeted out uh, the story I wrote on the game, and Joel even alluded to this fact. He said, you know, years past, people would say, you know, they're down 20, oh, move on to the next game, they're done. And he's, yeah. he said, like, we are a mentally tougher team. We're a better team. We find ways to win. And, you know, we can credit that to a lot of people and a lot of guys, but, you know, end of the day, it comes down to they had the best player in the wow. game who, as the team is working through all their nonsense throughout the game, he was good the whole way, it was carrying them the whole way. And so for him to have that moment at the end of the game, to hit that that game winner that he posted on Instagram after the game with the caption of just Kobe. I thought that, <laughs> and yeah. Was, so, you know, that was it was great. It was great to see. It was an extremely fun ending to to witness, if not a, you know, fun middle portion of that game. Yeah, I mean, this, the shot was unbelievable. And, you know, I think sometimes we get so focused on the playoffs, and, and I do too, right? And, and Embiid has made big shots in the regular season. But that shot last night to me felt like a moment for him, right? Uh, we talk so often about how this team can win all different types of ways. After the Milwaukee game, we said, all right, they have two more on this road trip. If you split, you're good on that. You come home at your first game, right? A Portland team that is not great, but you're coming off a three straight or even, yeah, I think at least three straight wins uh, in a long road trip. So who knows, right? They win all those games. They win the two after the Milwaukee game and they win last night. And my favorite stat, one of the favorite things, uh, one of my favorite things you said on this pod is so true is their ability to just win in all different types of ways, but also to come back, to come back. If, when they are down so often, and as you said, Embiid alluded to it, you could just say because effort has been an issue with this team and we have called their effort out at the beginning. But what I think is important is while their efforts sometimes in regular season games to begin the game can be disappointing, they do not give like they they are willing to continue to fight even if they're down. Right. So I think come playoff time, I would be look, we saw it against Miami. So who knows? I'd be surprised if they came out with poor kind of lackadaisical checked out effort. And when they're when they're they're checked in. They're, the, they're maybe the best team in the NBA right now. And Joel Embiid, I thought last night, that final play, like, you know, Doc calls the timeout. Harden makes the, uh, you know, I think he made a, a cut or something to pull a defender away from Joel. And Joel just, again, he hits it with the perfect, like, Kobe move, right? The spin, the step back, he hits it. I just thought, especially capping off a week where the MVP can talk has been so, it's been the forefront of everybody's mind, right? For a lot of different levels. And we're going to get into it again today. But to hit that shot in that moment, it really, to me, I mean, when you wake up this morning, he's down to like plus 300 to win MVP. I, like, I really, really think momentum is is heavy towards Embiid right now. And that, last night, that shot, it really did feel like the moment, if he wins MVP, that will be the moment it began. That shot will be the one we remember as, okay, 
that run to the MVP started with that. Now he's been playing great, but that shot was kind of the beginning of everybody saying, all right, you know what? He probably is the MVP. My dog, Louie, I don't know if you can hear it. It like genuinely is just throwing stuff around in my office well, right now. It, and it's, I don't know how he found all this energy. It, he normally is on my sleep schedule. That's funny. And it's just extremely chaotic. Well, here. it's funny because his uh, like kind of light bark sounds a little bit like when you send an email. So the first few times <laughs> I've done it, I'm looking at my computer. I'm like, I'm not sending emails. Like what's going on? But I like to think that his little, uh, you know, barks are just agreeing with me on my MVP points. He's getting fired up about your takes. He is. You? Yeah. Look, he knows he's got a chance now, you know, there's reason to be excited. So to your point, uh, and you know, we don't have to get into the Jokic stuff quite yet, but it was oh, interesting. I'm excited to get into it. Yeah. It was interesting that Jokic had a bad week and his team lost several games, including one last night to the Spurs, despite him having a, a big offensive night. Jokic still was at the top of the NBA.com MVP ladder at the end of the week, which was like, you know, just seems like a, a real double standard compared to if Joel or if Giannis had the type of week that Jokic had, both of those guys, people would be like, sky is falling. He deserves yep. to, you know, get moved down the list. You know, I, I was thinking about something last night after that game as a, as a, you know, mostly agree with your point that I think this is a real moment for Joel to stand up and say, you know, this is my award. I do think that like normally we tend to think of MVP as, you know, this race should be decided by now. There's only like the Sixers have 16 games left. Most teams have 15 or less games between now and the end of the season. And by now, you know, 60 something games into the year, you would say, we mostly have a handle on who's going to win awards in a normal season. And I don't think that's true anymore. And I think, you know, the last few years have really underlined when guys are playing at this high of a level, like Joel is, like Giannis is, like Jokic is, although, you know, we'll get to him in a second, as I said. Right. You can't say, well, the, the, the race is over with, you know, 15 games left. Those 15 games really matter. Like that can be a separation between Joel and Giannis or Joel and Jokic or Giannis and Jokic or Giannis and yeah. Embiid. Like those games matter. And the fact that Joel is still going strong, that Joel last night on top of being an insanely good offensive player is making defensive plays down the stretch and is making a difference in that regard where I, I think – the other day when we were talking about elevator pitches for MVP, I think I probably fell asleep on the idea of here it is. Joel could be the leading scorer in the league and an elite defender. Like that's yeah. the elevator pitch. He could, I don't think people realize the burden it that he carries every night to be such an offensive force with this insane usage rate. And to be able to make a, a gigantic impact on the defensive end. I mean, the whole Jokic thing is like the guy clearly is one of the best offensive players in the league, if not ever, with everything he can do. But dogs it on defense a lot of the time. And I don't even blame him sometimes because he does do so much for them on the other end of the floor. But that, to me, elevates guys like Joel and like Giannis because – Giannis, it might be the single most impactful defender in the entire league, and he's scoring 32 points a game. Joel is one of the best defenders in the league, elite rim protector, 
And he might be the first center to be a back-to-back scoring champion since fucking Bob McAdoo in the mid seventies. <laughs> like this is really rare territory that he is in. And so I absolutely think if anybody has made up their mind on MVP at this point, I think they're crazy. Like I think that would be a disservice to all of these guys, no, no matter who ends up winning the award. And I know that we've talked about this tough schedule and I don't think that this is realistic, but if we end up at the end of the season, the Sixers are one game back of Denver in the loss column. If these teams end up with basically the same record at the end of the season, to me, you cannot give the award to a guy who is clearly like a DH in, in basketball. I just, I don't believe <laughs> it's a good that. Phrase. Yeah. I don't believe that that's like, Again, if Jokic is the best player on the best team and that's a comfortable margin between him and everybody else, but I don't think that's going to be the case. I think, one, that Milwaukee's probably going to finish with the best record in the league. And I think, two, the Sixers and the Nuggets are probably going to finish with comparable records. So then it comes down to, is him putting up a triple-double and playing no defense better than Joel doing what he's doing or Giannis doing what he's doing? I would say no. And I also think because of the historical precedent and how few guys have won back to back to back MVPs, I I just at this point, I couldn't say that I would vote for him. I don't have a vote, but I I just in my opinion, you should have a vote. Wow, get, get Kyle a vote, but that's a story no. for another day. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, you know, I, I think so. My friend sent me this uh, tweet this morning and here's an advanced stat. So we'll, we'll go down the, the Jokic road of advanced stats, but Clutch per 36. So if you took their clutch stats and you, you know, did the, the per 36 thing since the new year. So in the biggest moments of the game since the new year, and you talked about how the final 15 games should matter. Not only should they matter, they should matter more than the first 15 games, right? Like we talk so often about how with a long season, these games early on don't matter a ton. They matter because each game equals, you know, it's the same amongst 82. But in terms of effort and those type of things, like the preseason is basically till November or Christmas or whatever, right? So ultimately, these last 15 games matter more, especially this year, especially this year when the Sixers, the Bucks, and the Celtics are fighting so close for that number one seed. The Nuggets aren't really fighting for anything, but the the Milwaukee, T- uh, Boston, and Embiid, they are doing that. So since the new year and the biggest clutch moments, if you take their 36, Embiid, 38 points a game. Jokic is only at 28. Embiid averages more points, more rebounds. Jokic has him on assists, uh, five and a half to two and a half, but then blocks and steals and beads almost six. Jokic is at two, like in beads plus minus is 50. Jokic's is 15 in the biggest games, in the biggest moments Embiid has been better than Jokic. And frankly, it's not even close. Like in the, cl- in the biggest games Embiid has stepped up and you saw that last night. So when you're talking about a valuable player, right? Like the most valuable player. And I know that the title is intentionally ambiguous so that each year you can kind of pick and choose, you know, narratives like those things, right? But ultimately, at its core, the most valuable player is the player that matters the most to their team and helping them win, being all those things, right? Embiid in the biggest moments is a better player than Jokic is because he's a better scorer. You said something about how Jokic, you know, I know you were just kind of saying, like, might be one of the best offensive players ever, right? Or whatever. 
ultimately it's really just because of his passing. He's not that great of a scorer. He's just not, he doesn't shoot the ball a ton. He doesn't average a ton of points. He's a good scorer, but his best ability, what makes Jokic different is his ability to pass for his size. That's the difference between Jokic and other guys. And ultimately it's a great skill, but in the biggest moments, Embiid is a player you would rather have for two reasons. A, the defense, like we know that. But he's a better scorer. Like, Jokic is not doing what Embiid did last night, in my opinion, right? With, with like, the play kind of falls apart. He almost slips. He turns around. He hits. Jokic isn't doing that. And so, to me, if we're going to say what's a most valuable player, a most valuable player is someone you want on a great team to take great shots and to be great in those moments. And Embiid, frankly, just checks more boxes this year than Jokic does. And you also talked about the last 15 should matter. I don't think it's decided. I think that part of this MVP narrative has been this like, well, he's definitely going to get the third MVP. I don't think he's going to win MVP. I don't. Like, I think it has turned. So ultimately, the some of the outrage around how can you give this guy three straight, I think it's a little misplaced because he has not won it yet. I agree he shouldn't, but he has not won the award. Well, so that is probably a good segue into the uh, the Zach Lowe related yeah. controversy that happened yesterday, because I thought and I want to preface this by saying I I respect the hell out of Zach. I think he does some of the best work covering the league that you could possibly do. But he wrote something yesterday. Just for anybody who somehow missed this, I feel like the people who listen to this podcast are probably very plugged in, in tune yeah. with this. But Zach's 10 things column that he does every week, he wrote about Michael Porter Jr. and his defense was the thing that he got into. And essentially said that Michael Porter Jr. is a good defender, which I disagree with that premise. But to get there... He made a you know a really hard right turn, like just a and somebody phrased it to me as a, a, a drive-by <laughs> to essentially bring in Joel Embiid's postseason success relative to Jokic's. That he went from talking about Michael Porter Jr., like that is the headline of this section, to discussing their respective playoff resumes and the MVP race, and it's a basically a a paragraph long parenthetical on why Jokic has been better in the playoffs, which number one, I don't even agree with. I, I think if you look at the plus minuses for their respective careers in the playoffs, Joel is at like plus 282. Jokic is like negative 30. Like they, it is not, <laughs> and that yeah. is not Embiid, a close Embiid's margin. been better in the playoffs. Embiid has like, been better in the playoffs. The reason that Joel's teams have lost is not like, yes, he has not been good enough on offense, but they've lost because the second he leaves the floor, they are fucked. Like that, that is why the Sixers have lost in the playoffs. Right. He sounds so, pretty valuable. But so to me, this big swerve by Zach in, in his article, again, he's talking about Michael Porter Jr. and has to somehow bring in Joel into this, even though he has nothing to do with this. That reads like somebody who is trying to defend a vote that they've already decided on, but mm -hmm. won't admit that they've already decided on the vote. And like Zach brought up the same point on the podcast that he does and said that he, had, the MVP race is not decided and so on and so forth. But that's how it comes off, right? It's like, if you are thinking about Joel and his comparisons to Nikola Jokic, 
in an article and a like a section of an article that has absolutely nothing to do with Jokic. That to me is kind of giving away the fact that you are doing whatever you can to undermine Joel as you're making the case for this other guy. And it did not sit well with me because, as I've said on this podcast many times, you can make a clear-cut case for Nikola Jokic as the MVP. If he wins the award this year, this is not some like absolute disaster that he won. They're not giving it to a guy like last season where he's the sixth seed in the Western Conference. They're not giving it to somebody based on narrative or some stupid shit. They're giving it to him because he's averaging a triple-double on the one seed in the West. Whether you think that's the most valuable case or not, that is at least a strong case, and you can make it. You don't have to say anything about Joel. You don't have to say anything about Giannis or Jason Tatum or Luka Doncic or any of these other guys. You can just say, I think this guy has been the best, most available, most valuable player in the regular season, period, and end it there. Where I think we're like really losing the plot is – misrepresenting the argument that's being made against Jokic. People are not bringing up postseason numbers for Nikola Jokic for no reason. They're bringing them up because he's about to win three straight MVPs for the first time since Larry Bird did it in the early 80s. Joel has not won anything. He has not won a title. He's not won. He's never been first team all NBA because of this guy, Nikola Jokic, getting the votes. He's never won MVP. He wasn't a starter in the All-Star game this year. So the reason that his playoff results are not as relevant as Nikola Jokic's in MVP voting is because he hasn't won the awards. Like he should right. If Joel had won an MVP trophy, he would be held to that standard. Like we hold him to a high standard. I expect him to play at an MVP level. I expect him to be a leader. I expect him to go out and get playoff results. But if you're talking about the expectation that has been set based on awards voters and everything else that goes on, Jokic should have to clear a higher bar than him. That's just that's how the NBA has worked or how awards voting has worked in sports for the entire history of voting on awards, especially with the NBA well, MVP. I think that's an interesting point that I hadn't heard before in terms of I think so often because everyone knows as players – I think Embiid's better, but they're essentially treated as equals, that they're discussed in the same light. But, and this is why awards matter, and I want to get an all-star things matter and all that, and I'll get to that in a second. But in a, in 20 years, and you've brought this up before, if you look back at the basketball reference page, if you looked at them, like, to this point, like a 20, you know, someone who's not even born yet and is 25 and is looking, is going to look and go, well, let's see, Jokic started in more all-star games or whatever, like, he had two MVPs, maybe three, and Embiid had none you would look and go, oh, these guys weren't that close. So, but but to your point about how they're discussed, we know they're close players, and I think Embiid's better, but the awards are always going to Jokic. So ultimately, they're not being treated the same in terms of how they're being given these accolades, right? So if we're not going to treat them the same in accolades, then yes, Jokic should be held, if we're being honest with ourselves, and I'm being honest with myself, Jokic should be held to a higher standard because he's a two-time MVP, but he is not held to a higher standard than Embiid who has finished twice, so he's been right More there. than Giannis, for that right. matter. Like, again, yeah. a lot of this debate yes. has bubbled up recently because when Giannis was on the verge of potentially winning three straight MVPs, Jokic won his first award. And the reason that Giannis lost steam that year, among other reasons, is because he was coming off multiple playoff failures. 
And yep. the awards voters, including people like Zach Lowe, who, again, I'm not trying to pick on Zach, but he's just a very prominent person who a lot of people listen yeah, to and respect. And so it comes he influences votes to some degree. Zach, among other people at the time, said that people are not going to vote for Giannis because he hasn't gotten it done in the playoffs. And there's voter fatigue. Like, that is a thing that has always existed. So I, I just... I. Again, not to go down to like the bias and all that road again, because I already said my piece on all that. But look, he should be held to as high of a standard as you can possibly set in the NBA. If you want to say the MVP is a regular season award and all that good stuff, like great. But again, we're talking about <laughs> these last 15 games. All these guys need to hit a really high level. And I want to actually bring back a another point that I, I brought up the other day where I think Joel has been dinged for actively caring about the award, whereas some of these other guys, including Jokic, most notably Jokic, has been a little too cool for school about it and said he doesn't care and this that. and that. So yeah. let me ask you a question. Jokic has a, a rough week by his standards. And... and there's a lot of chatter in the NBA universe about the same stuff that I have been saying on this podcast over and over again. He's not a guy who shoots enough that I, I worry about his willingness to step up and be like a high volume scorer when his team needs it in the playoffs. His defense is bad. And he, all this criticism is out there. And then all of a sudden Friday night against the Spurs, he scores 37 points and takes a bunch of shots and you, do you think he didn't hear any of that and didn't respond to any of that? Yeah. You think this guy just like woke up on Friday and was like, I'm going to completely change how I played compared to, you know, the last two weeks, three weeks, month, whatever it is. You think he doesn't care about this stuff enough to adjust how he's playing based on criticism he's hearing? Of course he does, because Nikola Jokic, to be as good as he is at basketball, had to work really fucking hard and care about his craft and become this player, all these guys that are at Joel and Giannis and Jokic's level, they care to an absolute, like, I want to say insane, but I don't mean this in a bit. Like, it's borderline mental illness to care as much as these guys do and be as competitive as they are about this. To think about slights from people like Zach Lowe, who are, they're never going to play in a game, to use media and role players criticizing them to get up for games. If you think Nikola Jokic is not seeing criticism and then responding to it because he wants to win these awards, you're you're just not a very smart person. You're not paying attention to what motivates these guys, which is to say everything motivates these guys. Everything is a slight against them. Everything is a reason to walk into an arena on a fucking Thursday night in February or March or whatever it is and drop 45 points or a triple double or or whatever else. So I just I continue to be pissed off about this idea that like these guys should get like bonus points because they they say the right things about MVP yeah. and all that. Every single one of these guys, if you were to ask them in private, is going to tell you, yeah, I would love to be named the best player this season every single year. These guys all want to be the best player in the league. Some of them are just capable of doing it more than others. Well, okay. So I'm, I'm happy you brought that up. And 
I'm sure we're going to say this a few more times. We both have respect for Zach Lowe. Zach Lowe, you have made it so that what you say matters so much that what we're talking about on the pod. So (laughs) I give you credit, right? So some clips went viral last night on Sixers Twitter of, of, uh, of Zach Lowe and Howard Beck talking about this, right? And I want to piggyback off what you said, because they did two things that really annoyed me and I think are similar to what you said. So they start the MVP talk by saying, like, first of all, I don't even want to talk about this because people are so charged up about it. Here's the thing, guys. We talk about sports for a living. The reason Zach Lowe and Howard Beck exist is because people are fanatical about sports and about their opinions. Correct. So you don't get you don't get to pick and choose when you feel a topic is getting too like Zach. The reason you don't want to talk about MVP is because you know the pressure is now on you to decide who you're going to vote for. Right? Me and you can talk about this all day. A, because we love to do it and we're happy to admit it. And it's a it's an interesting conversation. But the reason Zach doesn't want to talk about it and he wants like the temperature to be lowered about it is because he knows what he's going to vote is really going to matter this year. Like his MVP column is going to be talked about and dissected to the nth degree by everybody. And that's a career accomplishment for him. He has earned that right. But you can't say like Sixers fans and Daryl Morey, and that's essentially who he's talking to. You can't be like, whoa, whoa, calm down. It's just MVP. At one point, he goes, it's just a game where we throw a little orange ball into a hoop. Like, come on, man. Like, look, we all love sports. We cover sports. It's not, I hate when media members do this. When media members, you see it with rumors too. Like, there'll be a player will cut and other a player will get cut and other beat writers will go, huh, why are fans even talking about this? Do you want to know why, man? Because people care. And it's okay for people to care about things. It's okay for Joel to care if he wins about MVP. It's okay for Sixers fans to be livid at the fact that he hasn't won two in a row. We all know the context of it, sports. But you don't get to go on the pod and say, Oh, it's just MVP, blah, blah, blah. And Daryl Morey, calm down. Daryl Morey works for the Sixers. Of course he is going to cape hard for (laughs) Joel Embiid. What do you think he's going to do? Tweet out things about when Jokic has a great game? Of course he's going to do that. So I don't think it's fair when the prominent voices say, like, calm down about this award. No, people should be worked up about it because it's something we all care about. We love sports. And I don't think both to the player, to your point about when Jokic gets, like, bonus points because he's like a frumpy guy that just sits there and goes like, Oh, I don't care if I win. That's lame. I loved when Iverson won MVP and really, and really cared about winning. I love the fact that Joel works really hard because he wants to win MVP because he wants to win MVP. Right? So ultimately I hate that. And that, that, that bothered me in terms of telling people to calm down. No, this is a topic we all care about. It's interesting. And it comes with the territory, man. Sorry. Like your vote is going to be highly scrutinized. Congratulations that you've gotten to that point, but that is where we're at with this right now. Yeah, I, again, uh, I'm done beating this specific drum, but I always come back to, like, to your point, I didn't want to write about Ben Simmons last year. Like, I didn't want to spend every waking second that the games were not being played thinking about where he's going and issues with the Players Association and whether he's getting paid. And, but that's what people are interested in. I don't necessarily want to write about every trade rumor or free agency thing, but that's what people are interested in. Like uh, all I am or all you are in your job, we're conduits to the fan base. It's what do they want to know about and hear about and learn about and think about. And if you're not engaging on those topics, then you are not doing a good job, like point blank period. And I think people like Zach and Zach specifically do a great job covering the league to your point. He has earned his place as the, uh, the Sherpa of so many of these voters. 
But because he is in such an important spot within the NBA media verse, and because, and I, look, I'm sure he's aware that a ton of people look to him for what he's saying. It's why I was disappointed with, I, I didn't have a problem so much with this conversation happening on his podcast, because at least on the podcast, it was within a broader discussion about MVP and he's tying that all together. What I thought was nonsense was saying, hey, Michael Porter's Jr.'s defense is improving. Now, here's a, a side swipe to essentially bring Joel in in a way that had nothing to do with what he was talking about. Like, that's yeah. where I think, and to his point that he's been making, that that's the sort of thing he doesn't like that other people are doing. He wants people, well, these guys to be celebrated. And meanwhile, he's doing the exact thing that, so. Again, well, I, really I, quick really to, to, to offer that point, right? So there's been times in my career where I have had a strong opinion, right? Like, and I get dug oh, in. Oh, you on. have strong yeah, opinions? Me no people, yes. So I'll use an example of this, right? I remember when I was, I used to think Jordan Matthews, a receiver for the Eagles, was better than Alshon Jeffrey. And for two years, this was a thing, right? And whenever I went anywhere, people asked, like, whatever, right? And the way Zach Lowe is talking about this Jokic and B thing to me reminds me of that where I believed it initially. It wasn't some opinion I just made up, but then so many people tell you you're wrong. You get dug in and you want to defend it all the time. And it's all you think about. And I think that that Michael Porter, and I feel like we're dissecting his writing. Like it's like, you know, a coded, <laughs> message, but the Michael Porter junior paragraph, I thought was a good example of that where it's like, he is feeling the pressure of the fact that he has planted himself in the Jokic corner, or at least been perceived that way. And now he knows there is going to be a ton of negative backlash. So it's like all he can think about. It's like even when he's writing about Michael Porter Jr., he's like, oh, and by the way, da 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 da, right? Because that's how I got with Jordan Matthews and Alshon Jeffrey. Like I'd be talking about the defense and all of a sudden I would bring it up. So I do, I do kind of see where he is at. And the other part of this before we wrap it up is, and I will defend Zach Lowe to this point. I think what, what is happening to a little bit is Zach Lowe is worried and Jokic voters are worried if they vote for him, they are going to be painted a certain way, right? Like, at his, like they're worried now that if they vote for Jokic, it is going to, frankly, like, people will be like, they'll not because of the races, but I don't want to say racist, but people will perceive that, like, they're going to question why exactly. they're voting for him. Yes. Correct. Right. So I think he's probably feeling the heat of that a little bit. But what I really think, and, you know, I hope that a lot, I hope that all the voters, as someone that's had opinions and that's wanted to defend them and that's wanted to be dug in, if you're a voter, I'm not a voter. I'm allowed to be dug in on my opinion and fight it and stuff because <laughs> I'm not impacting. I'm not impacting people's careers. I'm not impact. Right. But if you're a voter, I would say this. It is not your job to be dug in and defend your stance to the death. Your job is to look at everything that happens and then decide. And I think that if voters are being honest with themselves, you said something earlier that I, I agree with, but I think I'm coming off of. Jokic, a week ago, I said, had a really strong MVP case. We need to be honest in saying Jokic MVP case is falling apart because the East is clearly the better. <laughs> I won't go that far. No, but it is. It is. Like, I get that him being number one in the West and averaging a triple-double is a quick elevator pitch. It's impressive, all those things. But if, you're, if we're looking at this honestly, there are two players in a better conference having better individual seasons than, than Jokic. That's just a fact. So ultimately, while he has a case – 
his ironclad case is not as strong as it was a week ago. And I hope that the voters look and don't just get dug in like they do in all awards. They do it in the NFL. It's why Geno Smith won comeback player of the year, right? All these things. People decide who they are and they don't change their mind. These last 15 games are critically important this year for this specific award. Voters should be open to changing their mind. I agree, but I think Jokic is going to win. Um, I don't. I don't think he's going to win. I really, so, I really don't. So one last thing. I I know I've said this before. I want everybody who has tried to tell me over the years that Jokic is a, a better defender now to offer me a personal apology <laughs> at some point. That guy fucking stinks on defense. I like. I'm sorry. I you cannot watch that guy play and how the Nuggets set up and. To give Zach credit, since we've been beating up Zach on this podcast, Zach also said in that Michael Porter Jr. section that Nikola Jokic is just not a rim protector, right? Yeah. Like, and for a center, that's like the thing, the one thing that you absolutely must do. And if you, the Bucks fans, I really have been cracking up all week because we view everything through the Sixers lens and the Philadelphia lens, but the Bucks fans this week have been unbelievable just pulling clip after clip <laughs> after clip after clip of Jokic just getting dog walked by, you know, the Chicago Bulls and the San Antonio Spurs and putting together like defensive low light reels because they are so gung ho that they want Giannis to win. That is a level of hater energy that I really admire in, in Milwaukee. I don't know people from Milwaukee like that, but right. I, that part is appreciated. But that's what I, it's, that's why I'm saying, like, if this is close, if you're saying these teams are all close in record at the end of the year, and you look at all these cases, I don't know how you can possibly say that Nikola Jokic, who is, we could make, like, people killed James Harden for years for his defensive issues. And James Harden is at a much less important defensive position than Nikola Jokic is period. James Harden's teams were also flat out better than the Nuggets are. James Harden was winning like 60 plus games while playing bad defense. The, yeah. the gap between him and other guys was fairly significant in terms of team success while he's put, putting up like 37 and 8 or whatever he's putting up every season. So the gap between Jokic and these other guys is not going to really exist on offense. And so if it doesn't exist in the standings, to me, the obvious tiebreaker is this guy is a traffic cone on defense half of the time, whereas Giannis, as I said earlier, is maybe the most impactful defensive player in the league, and Joel is an absolutely elite rim protector, and the only reason the Sixers have a chance to be a good defensive team. So, like, well, th those are easy ways to separate those guys. What's funny is, like, there's this corner with the Jokic voters defending themselves to death. There's this corner with the Embiid people being like, you know, making all their points. And Giannis is just posted back and is just going to win the MVP. Like he's just chilling. Like Giannis is going to become the safe vote. It's not, it's not like the Embiid vote. It's not the Jokic vote. It's I actually think it's like, I don't, but I'm saying what voters might say to themselves is, well, I think it's Giannis and just like step back. Right. And don't get involved. So I think Giannis might actually end up uh, benefiting from this, but all right. I have two or one more like final quick non-MVP thought. So do you have anything else on that or you think we've sufficiently beat that? Uh, we've, we've beaten the dead horse enough, I think. Okay. So, so two things. One, um, 
so I brought up how Jokic doesn't shoot a ton. Here's some of the players around Jokic with in similar. So Jokic averages 14.8 shots per game. Bojan, uh, Bojan Banyanovic, which I mispronounced his name. He shoots more, right? Josh Giddy shoots roughly the same. Gary Trent Jr., roughly the same. I cannot give an MVP to somebody that is shooting the same amount of times as Josh Giddy. Just as a general rule, if you are shooting the same amount of times as Josh Giddy, you are not winning my MVP. I don't care about the assist. You cannot win it. So that is my one thought. The other thought is I wanted to give a shout out to Tyrese Maxey because while Embiid is going to be the star of the game that talked about all those things, Maxey hit two big free throws. He made one really big layup and he made a big defensive play to get the ball back. And I think we've talked about it on this pod a lot about competing windows and Maxey's windows over here and the Sixers are competing right now. Last night wasn't against the Bucks, the Celtics, anything. It was a pretty mundane regular season game. But in big moments, which are going to be happening in the playoffs, Maxi didn't make the game-winning shot like Embiid, but he made three massive plays in those final three and a half minutes. Harden hit a big shot. Like, we are seeing this team make plays in clutch moments, and Maxi doing it particularly, I think, is very encouraging. So, so one last thing, based off of your other point with the shot attempts, uh, my buddy... Kevin, who goes by at NBA Couchside on uh, on Twitter, tweeted something out this week that he said, I think we should have a new rule where if Nikola Vucevic busts your ass in your home building, you should yeah, not be out. eligible yeah. for MVP. You're yeah, you're done. <laughs> so, <laughs> and he actually, I think he said, if Vucci main, which is a hilarious <laughs> well, not nickname, to mention, bust your ass. Not to mention, you, you brought up how Jokic is like, oh, I'm going to shoot more. And then they go and lose to one of the worst teams in the league. Like, probably just coincidence, but... I tweeted last night, like, this is what happens when Jokic has to shoot more. So, yeah. all right. We've sufficiently. Um, but to the, but to the maxi, to the maxi thing. Again, I, I also want to tie in James Harden as we have so often this year, doc and Joel both gave James credit for the play. They were supposed to run was essentially a, a handoff option on that final shot. And when James saw where Joel caught the ball, James just cut away so that Joel couldn't be doubled. And it's one of those things that, in the moment, it's easy to just default to, well, this is what we call it. I'm going to go with what we did. And because James was able to do something intelligently off script, he ends up setting up Joel for the most success. And so I think James and Tyrese for most of that game were pretty bad. But it's another example of how the Sixers have progressed as a team, as a group, where they haven't had to have their best stuff to win, right? Like Joel yeah. has an awesome MVP level game, but push comes to shove and crunch time. They've made enough plays to put themselves in position. And then these guys, they dig deep and they do things that are, you know, they don't always show up in the box score, like the James cutaway or Tyrese forcing the turnover on that Dame pass near half court that they get an extra possession with, you know, like two minutes left in the game. Yeah. And all that stuff adds up and if you're asking yourself why they win a lot of these comeback games a lot of it is just their talent is really good but it's because of plays like this that guys are are buying in and and playing as hard as they can for each other and saying like we are good enough to figure out this game and win this game even if i'm like two for eight tonight or i can't make a three or i've been bad on defense or whatever the problem has been up to that point and so you know, culture is a really nebulous word that I think gets overused at times, but their culture, like their culture of competitiveness that they've shown this year is just night and day compared to where they were at 
even last season, but especially, you know, within the last two, three, four, five years, it, it just, that is one of the biggest reasons that I take them more seriously this year, that yeah, they don't give up. They do hold on to the rope. They manufacture stops when they need to. And like, probably most importantly, they can basically just score whenever they want. When they really get to it, when James and Joel get into their two-man game and they're running pick and rolls and dribble handoffs, and Joel says, I'm rolling hard to the basket, I'm going to put myself on the line, they exert their will and they win games. And so to be able to see, you can clearly see a switch is flipped during these games, right? Like they say, I'm not or we're not losing this game. Mm-hmm. And so for the Sixers to have the talent base to be able to do that, but also the mentality to be able to do that, that is a separator between this year's team and any Sixers team I've watched in recent memory. They sound like a well-coached team almost, you know, the, the <laughs> adjustments, effort, all these things. So, so no, that I don't want to give doc too much credit for the adjustment last night, just because it's probably what they should have done from the start of the game. But right. again, it's all, time, man. It's all that matters. At, at least, but here's what you say. The other side of it is at least they made the adjustment. At least they make the changes. Right. Very, like doc's big thing that people get on him for is he sticks to his initial plan and that's it. And I think there's been much less of that this year. I think that there's been a lot of halftime subtle changes. And and he even said last night, he said, guys, we're going to make one change, but we got to play harder. They've been more physical. They've been better than us. And he said, it's on you guys to play mm-hmm. harder. And then we'll see like what we can do better as the coaching staff. And at least what his claim was is that the players were all like, yeah, you're right. We got to do that. And, <laughs> you know, they uh, – right. Tyrese went out and got it done. Yeah. Tyrese texted him. Yeah, you're right, Doc. Like, and also I want to start. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was that. So, all right. We we joked before we started. Our producer James uh joked. Uh, we said we we're gonna be this was gonna be a short one. He's like, I'll talk to you guys in 45 minutes. We've just hit the 45-minute mark. So I think it's time for us to uh get on with our Saturday. I have to go watch Leeds lose after Liverpool absolutely blew it this morning. So shit, thank you, Kyle. I'm for, glad uh, that uh, I slept through that. We'll put it that yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> well, fuck you and fuck Liverpool for blowing that. So that sucked. But all right, guys, the Sixers play on Sunday, uh, six o'clock, weird time. We'll probably be back um, maybe Monday or Tuesday. Eagles free agency starts next week. So it'll be a crazy week. Uh, I'll be doing free agency. Uh, um, you know, you'll be doing the whole MVP thing. So it'll be a fun week, but we will be back early in the week with the next episode. Thank you again to everybody that, that is listening, that continues to listen. Appreciate the five-star reviews. Appreciate everybody, you know, kind of listening more and more. It's been fun and it's going to be a wild, uh, next 15 games of playoff series. So Louis Barkin says he wants five-star reviews. Uh, yeah. He wants five-star reviews and he wants Kyle to end the pod to get him out of here. So we will wrap this up. Uh, clap your hands pod, Odyssey Sports, 94 to VIP. Thank you guys for listening. And Kyle, I'll talk to you next time. Talk to you guys soon.